verses 18 to 26. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 18 to 26. <clears throat> At first I entitled the sermon, Eli's Sons, and then I realized many of you might not know who Eli was, and so I retitled it, Godly Parenting, and I think it is fitting for this morning's message. But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkina and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father, because the Lord desired to kill them. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. In May of 2017, the New York Yankees retired a number of perhaps their most famous and best shortstop in Yankee history. Derek Jeter's famous number two was retired in Monument Park on Mother's Day of that year, and the Bronx was packed for the ceremony. Now, if you don't know who Derek Jeter was... Uh, Derek Jeter had an illustrious baseball career that spanned 20 years, which is remarkable for an athlete, and it included an an amazing five world championships. As a New Yorker, I witnessed his career from start to finish. I attended that first World Series parade in downtown Manhattan. Don't tell anyone that I skipped school to do so, but I was there. And uh, New Yorkers, we love our Yankees, and we love Derek Jeter. Now, Jeter was a baseball star at Kalamazoo High School, Central High School, when the Yankees were thinking about drafting him. And so they arranged, team leadership called his parents home in Michigan and arranged a meeting with Dr. Charles and Dorothy Jeter. By June 27, 1992, a day after his 18th birthday, Derek Jeter signed with his favorite baseball team for $800,000 as a first-round draft pick. And for the rest of his 20-year career, his parents would stay visibly involved in Jeter's career. I I would remember watching Yankee games, and the camera pans the stands, and his parents were usually always there. And so, very intentionally, Jeter chose Mother's Day of 2017 to retire his jersey number. In an interview with the magazine, Jeter said, It was my choice. I thought it would make it even more special. I have close relationships with my entire family, but I thought it was a great opportunity to do something special for my mom. She's been very important for me. I don't know if Derek Jeter is a Christian or not, but for all the bad stories of children not not getting along with their parents, 
I think a feel-good story like Jeter's is worth noting. If I remember correctly, I was driving and listening to uh, sports talk radio, and I know sometimes the pastor doesn't listen to sermons in the car as well. Uh, I was listening to sports talk radio, and I remember uh, the broadcaster saying that Yankee leadership apparently knew from the start that Jeter would materialize into a great player. According to one source, he knew that Jeter was going to be a star in the majors and stay off of trouble um, when he was off the field. And when asked how he knew, he simply replied, because before we drafted him, I met his parents. You could tell a lot about a kid's future just by meeting his parents. And I remember listening to that scout say that, and I was like, wow, how much a parent, uh, parental influence is even for a baseball scout. I remember noting that. And you don't have to be a Christian to realize that God has made this world in such a way that parents play very critical roles in the lives of their children. Parenting goes far beyond changing diapers cleaning messy rooms, and chasing screaming children down supermarket aisles. We've all been there. I'm still there. And you know, in writing a a sermon like this, I I thought to myself, well, you know, you could write about godly parenting, and then five years from now, if your kids are a mess, they're going to just look back at this sermon and say, this guy didn't know what he was talking about. But I stand on God's word, and I'm going to take the risk. I have young children, I'm hoping and I'm praying that they turn out okay. Parents that are physically present but are not spiritually, uh, emotionally invested or responsive tend to raise children that are distressed and less engaged with their play activities. And according to secular researchers, parents have a significant influence on how children turn out, including their personality, emotional development, and behavioral habits, as well as a host of other factors. And that's probably why that baseball scout knew that Jeter would have success in the big leagues. Because these guys don't just look at talent, they want to make sure these athletes stay uh, stay out of trouble off the field as well. Even unbelievers believe in the general principle that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Parents, and I would say now especially dads, play a critical role in the development of their children. The statistics are as numerous as they are astounding. I'm just going to give you a couple right now. According to the National Principals Association's report, 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 71%. That's nine times the national average. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, 71% of pregnant, pregnant teenagers lack a father. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. Now, causation and correlations aside, those statistics by themselves are quite astounding. And on a much greater level... As Christians, we know from the Bible that godly parenting is absolutely essential to the proper development of a child. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
And long before the Department of Justice began telling us about the importance of fathers through statistics, we knew about the importance of dads and moms through Scripture. In Scripture, dads were tasked with teaching God's Word and modeling godly choices in front of their children. Spiritual heritage was not arbitrary. Godly instruction was a command, and it was a generational thing. For example, if you look at Deuteronomy 4.9, it commands men to give heed to yourself. So first yourself, so that you're not a hypocrite. Give, give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. But make them known to your sons and your grandsons. And although our contemporary society has reduced fathers to bumbling, lazy men like Homer Simpson, God, however, has made this world in such a way that it is very, very difficult to succeed in life without good parents. From foolish choices to sad deaths, so many tragedies are preventable if parents simply provided a godly presence in the home. And as a chaplain, I can tell you that firsthand, interacting with many of our airmen. In, in today's scripture text, we read the very infamous story of Eli the priest and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Whether you're a dad, a parent, uh, a young lady looking for a husband, or if you're going to be a parent one day, the story of Eli provides us with important lessons about destructive parenting. All of you looking for the right spouse, all of you in a marid, uh, marital relationship, all of you who are in the process of raising children, this is an important message. Because a wise man learns from his own mistakes, but a wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. So, Let's learn today from the mistakes of Eli. The story of Eli and his sons, I believe, is intentionally juxtaposed um, within the story of, of Samuel and his mother. Many of you know Samuel, the prophet. He turned out to be a wonderful man of God. Samuel's mother, Hannah, if you recall, was a prayer warrior. And she sort of is like... Uh, the matron saint of all barren women. She's, she's sort of the woman that we look to. Her prayer has been prayed many times over, I think, by women in the church looking to conceive. A year after year, after constant prayer, God finally answered Hannah's prayer and gave her a son. And she named him Samuel. As promised, Hannah gave up Samuel to the Lord, and Samuel was therefore raised by Eli the priest, and groomed to be a man of God. Samuel came from a godly home. And verse 21 states that Samuel grew up before the Lord. And even though Samuel was sent off to be raised in something like a ministry boarding school, both his mom and his dad were nevertheless still very involved in his life. Look at verse 19. I'm not going to read it. You can look at it yourself. And because Hannah gave up Samuel to God... God, in return, the text says, 
gave the once barren Hannah five more children. A lot of us forget about that. Samuel had siblings. Three more boys and two girls. Hannah therefore experienced the joy of raising a godly family. And all of you mothers in here who have children, you know what I'm talking about. For there's probably not too much in life that will exceed the joy of raising a godly family. Eli, on the other hand, remember the two stories are juxtaposed. Eli, on the other hand, raised very wicked sons. And I'm not saying that. That's the Bible's assessment of those boys. Although Eli was a priest and therefore could have known and should have known better, nevertheless raised sons in a matter devoid of God and lacking discipline. And we've seen that. We've seen sometimes pastors' kids being the worst kids in the church. I hope you don't tell me that. (laughs) 2 Samuel 2.12 plainly states that the sons of Eli were corrupt and did not know the Lord. They were serving as ministers, but they were not saved themselves. What a tragedy. The same is true today. You could be in the choir singing about Jesus, but not know the Lord. You could attend church every Sunday, but not be saved. You could even be a chaplain and be headed to hell. You see, friend, at the end of the day, it's not so much what you do that matters. It's why you do what you do that really matters. Why are you here this morning? You see, in those days, much like today, it was a privilege and an honor to be a minister. Eli's boys, however, used this position and of privilege and power of their office to help themselves to first the sacred portions of Israel's sacrifices, and then to engage in illicit relationships with the women who were dedicated to the work of the tabernacle. They were sleeping around. Their, their, Eli's sons were filled with sexual sin. Eli hears all about the evil his boys were doing and gives them a verbal reprimand in verse 24. But, you see, here's the problem. Verse 22 gives us the problem. Read the text and tell me what's the problem. Look at verse 22. What's the problem? What's wrong with that picture? The problem is found in the first five words. Now Eli was very old. It was way too late. His boys were grown. Now was not the time to be dad and parent and discipline. I want you to listen to me carefully. There is a time and place for everything in life. And those childhood years are very instrumental when it comes to childhood development. According to childhood development experts, a key aspect of emotional development in children is learning how to regulate emotions. In fact, how you regulate your emotions right now will probably learn at a very young age. Children see how their parents display emotions, how they handle difficult situations, how they interact with other people, and they imitate and see their parents And they learn from them how to regulate their emotions. 
I, I, for all of you women who've said, I told myself I will never grow up to be like my mother, the very next sentence is what? But I grew up just like my mother. A lot of times we learn exactly from our parents, the, the same, we follow their footsteps. A child's temperament also plays a role in their emotional regulation. Some of your kids, if you have multiple kids, you will see that some of your kids are a little bit more even-keeled than others. And that does come into play. It's guided, ultimately, however, by the parenting style that they receive. For example, children who are more prone to negative emotions or episodes of anger are deeply affected by hostile and neglectful parenting which often leads to even more behavioral problems. Difficult temperaments can become a bi-directional problem that evokes even more negative emotions from the parents if not monitored. It's a cycle that never ends. Now, as we return to the text, personally, I think Eli was a man of faith. Some scholars disagree, but I think he was. I'm not going to go into all the details here, but I'm just going to give you two reasons why I believe Eli, the priest, at least for himself, was a man of faith. First of all, because godly Hannah leaves Samuel to live with Eli for religious training. Evidently, Hannah thought highly of Eli. You wouldn't leave your kid with somebody you didn't think was godly. Also, if you look at verse 20, God answers Eli's blessing. Eli prays that Hannah would have more children, and God answers that prayer. So Eli has access to God, and his prayers are heard. So if he was a man of faith, what happened to this godly man's family? What happened? Why did this man of faith raise up children devoid of faith? Well, the Bible doesn't give us a straight answer for that question. It does, however, say Eli was at fault. You know, sometimes we don't know why things happen in life, and causation is very difficult to establish. We need to be careful about establishing and jumping to conclusions. But here, it actually says that Eli was at fault. Verse 29 states, that God found Eli to be faulty because he honored his sons more than he honored God. And that's an important lesson for all of us who are parents, or soon to be parents. The best thing you can teach your kids is to put God first and to honor him above all else. Amen? You see, Eli's boys did not have an educational problem. They did not have a physical problem. They did not have a material problem. They were well provided for. What they had was a spiritual problem. You could provide your kids everything, but if you don't provide them Jesus, you are lacking in your parenting. They grew up the way they did because they did not have a relationship with God. But why did Eli spiritually neglect his kids? Maybe Eli was too busy with ministry. Maybe he got caught up at work too often, too late. Maybe he thought discipline was unloving. And maybe 
That's why he took more of a hands-off, a laissez-faire approach to parenting. But for whatever reason, his boys were neglected spiritually. And so, although they had had a father who was in the ministry, they grew up to become very wicked men. And by verse 25, their disobedience is in full bloom so that the text actually says, Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. What a scary place to be. It's a scary thought. God wanted to kill these boys, so he hardened their hearts so that they would not listen to good counsel. Sort of like Pharaoh and Moses. Think about this. The the inability to recognize and heed good counsel is a form of divine judgment. Conversely, if you have the ability to recognize and then listen to godly counsel from godly people, it is a form of God's blessing on your life. Those whom God seals to their own destructive paths, He will harden their hearts so that they are not even able to listen to godly counsel. It is a true blessing if you have godly parents or godly counselors in your life. Swallow your pride and listen to them. Well, now for their continual sins... We progress in this story, and verse 34 states that Hophni and Phinehas will one day die on the same day. And we will see this prophecy come to pass. You see, in those days, the priests would go out with the Israelite army, comparable to how modern chaplains still deploy with our troops. And one day, as 34,000 Israelites are killed in battle with the Philistines, Both Hophni and Phinehas are killed by the enemy as well. Eli loses both his sons in one day. I don't want to be doing the death notification there. But somebody did. Because the ark of the Lord was taken captive. And when they do the death notification to Eli, the news was so traumatic that upon hearing the news, Eli falls, cracks his neck, and dies. Out of shock, he falls and dies. But the bad turn of events doesn't end there. Phineas's wife, upon receiving the death notification, who was pregnant, hears the news about her husband's death, goes into sudden labor, and gives birth to a son. But she dies while giving birth. And right before she dies, she names the son, and she names him Ichabod, which means the glory has departed from Israel. Can you imagine going around your life and your name is Ichabod? One Jewish scholar, it's not a Christian scholar, it's a Jewish scholar, one Jewish scholar went on to note that the name Ichabod indicates, quote, the fate of this newborn child who would have no parents, no grandfather, and not even God, because even the glory has departed from the place, end quote. 
story of Hophni and Phinehas unquestionably urges us to strive to be godly parents. Not just godly ourselves, but godly parents. Yes, you could do all the right things, but still have wayward kids. I get it. I hear that story once in a while. I've seen and met godly parents who've done all that they could, raising their children in the Lord, but only to see them walk away. It does happen. But generally speaking, if you raise them right, they'll turn out right. I'm going to say that one more time. Generally speaking, if you raise them right, they will turn out right. Again, we can learn from the mistakes of Eli. The consequences of bad parenting are severe. But the rewards are marvelous. Godly children can go on to be future shapers, leaders, and helpers of society. Agents of God for change in a dark and desolate world. They are the legacy that you will leave behind when your career is all said and done. In verse 30, God makes a promise. Look at verse 30. Here's what God says. Those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. I believe all of us desire to be honorable parents. We want to leave behind an honorable legacy. This past week, the Reverend Billy Graham died, and I had some time to watch the funeral. And although I don't agree with every aspect of his theology, you talk about the death of a godly man, leaving behind a godly legacy. You don't want to grow up to be, should I say, if you did not grow up with honorable parents, then don't despair. The good news of Jesus Christ is that the change can begin with you. It has to start somewhere. By the grace of God, you can be the godly parent that you never had. You can be an honorable parent raising honorable kids. Now how do we do that? And so this morning I want to close by giving you what I believe are six or seven principles that every child needs from godly parents. And none of these are groundbreaking, and every one of these you can find in Scripture, but as a pastor, my job is to remind you. First, pray for your children every single day. Prayer is the single most powerful weapon in your arsenal. If you neglect prayer, you neglect your kids. The devil, the world, the flu, all hate your children. Pray for them. Cover them in prayer. Because if you don't, who will? Every child needs a praying dad and prayer mom. And if you are a believer here this morning, chances are it's because you had a praying dad and a praying mom. Second, model a godly marriage. Model a godly Marriage, because children can smell hypocrisy from a mile away. The greatest gift you can give to your children is to genuinely love your spouse. 
I'm going to say that one more time. The greatest gift you can give to your children is to genuinely love your spouse. Children feel secure and loved when they see that mom and dad love each other. So before you invest time in them, invest time in each other and show your kids that you love each other. Display that love. Just don't go way overboard in front of them, you know? Third, practice what you preach. Nothing turns off a child to Christianity more quickly than parents who claim to be Christian but don't live out the Christian life. And I've seen that time and time again, and you guys are aware of that. Practice what you preach. Fourth, share the gospel with your children. And the only way that anyone can get into heaven is by faith in the gospel. So at the right age, share the gospel with your children and lead them to the Savior. What better privilege than to be the mom and dad uh, who led your own children to Christ? As important as pastors and Sunday school teachers and uh, uh, everyone else in life are, parents are the number one, I would say, uh, venue by which children should come to Christ. Share the gospel with them. Well, what is the gospel? Well, first, there is a holy God who exists. Tell them that there is a God who loves them, but He also is a God of righteousness and justice. Second, all of us are sinners. They are sinners in need of a Savior. Without a Savior, we are all headed to hell for our sins. Third, Although we deserve hell, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life and He died on the cross for your sins. And after dying on the cross three days later, He historically, not mythically, resurrected from the grave so that forth, if you would repent of your sins and believe in Jesus as your Lord God and Savior, you will have eternal life. That's the gospel. And the moment you believe in the gospel, the Bible says you are saved. You have eternal life. If you were to die today, God forbid, you would go straight into the presence of of God and spend eternity in heaven if you believe in the gospel. Share that gospel with your child. Don't wait for your pastor to do it for your kids. Fifth, aim. And that's the key word, aim. Because I understand life is busy and we can't do it every night. But aim to have a daily family worship time. Down south, I know they call it the family altar, right? Aim to have a daily family worship time. Maybe you could do it when everyone wakes up in the morning, or maybe you could do it before putting everyone to bed. But the key is doing it. It doesn't have to be long, but be consistent. Just like everything else, it requires some discipline. If you're the dad, God has put you in charge to make sure it gets done. And if you've never done it before, start with five minutes, gradually raise it to 15 or 30 minutes, but take some time to do it. Buy a hymn book, incorporate a song or evening reading of a passage of a scripture. It won't take long, but I guarantee you, your kids will remember that you worship God every day. Number six, remember the three pillars. A Bible-believing church a Christ-worshipping home, and a Christian education. If you're not able to provide all three, 
at least provide a strong two out of three. And someone once said that helping people to know God and be obedient to him is perhaps the greatest gift we can bestow. Understood this way, Christian education can be one of the most compassionate ministries of the church. Last, seventh, spend quality time with them. But not just quality, quantity. It's both quality and quantity, you know. They need your guidance and your presence. When you're home, don't be emotionally distant. I know sometimes we have the ability to take our work with us and we're thinking about work while we're at home. So we're home, but we're distant. Don't be. Laugh with them. Enjoy time with them. Remember, God loans them to you for only a short time. And then they're off to college or the Air Force or wherever else in life. Children are indeed a loan from God. They're not really ours if you think about it. And so this morning, if the story of Eli taught us anything, it was to intentionally invest in our children at a young age. Teaching your children to love God is going to be your lasting legacy long after you leave earth. And I know a lot of you believe me when I say that, but only time will tell whether or not you've implemented that belief. Be proactive. Let today be the start of a great new day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity to read your word. And a lot of times the stories in the Bible are instructive.